was uh, 34 years old, so I was just still a pretty young green pastor at the time. I went from a small church of under 100 in Florida to pastor a church of over 1,000 in Texas. And uh, my late wife, Kathy, and I, man, we were, we were excited about that opportunity. We, we were glad to get back to Texas where I grew up, and she grew up too, uh, get closer to family. But we were also just excited about this, this new opportunity in the church. We felt like it had so much potential. But um, what we didn't know was that the church that we were entering was a church that was full of hurt and anger and division over the leaving of the long-term pastor who had been there prior to me. And so there was this whole backstory that I didn't know anything about that no one shared with me during the process of me being brought into this, this new church. And so I was blindly entering into a stirred-up hornet's nest, not realizing what was happening and the dynamics at play. And to make matters worse, in that kind of context, the, uh, the, the Board of Elders had told me that their vision was for the church to get younger and to reach new young families. And so I started making some changes to help accomplish that a little too soon, really, uh, without really having gotten a good pulse on the congregation and where they were mentally and, and, and how much they had bought into this vision. <laughs> and so really, it was just a disaster from the beginning. And um, at the end of the day, I, I didn't make it to my third anniversary at that church. And um, Kathy and I, we, we got hurt during that time. We, we, got, we got cut, we got deeply wounded during our time at that, at that church. And I, I can tell you, when we got out of that, we were just like, we were, we were toast. And we weren't sure, we were really not sure that we were going to continue on in ministry. And we were starting to think about what else can, can we do with our lives. And um, thankfully, you know, about that time, when we were kind of at our lowest, there, there were so many people from that church that we had just left, along with people from other surrounding churches who just kind of came out of the woodwork and, and started encouraging us. Uh, I mean, people were just amazing. For years, I kept this thick stack of cards that we got in the mail from people telling us how much our ministry had meant to them. Um, and, and people would just kind of unexpectedly show up at our door, you know, just to offer some encouragement and just, just to talk with us. People prayed with us. People took us into their friendships even more than they had before. And, and I can tell you that the encouragement we received from, from those people during that time was so pivotal. It was a lifeline that God extended and put around us as a couple during a very fragile time in our lives. And looking back, I can say that the last 18 years of ministry that I have done would not have happened if it weren't for those encouraging people. So we two weeks ago, began a series in which we began talking about and trying to reimagine what does community that's built around Christ look like? What should it look like? What can it look like? And trying to get a vision for that because we all need a tribe of people to belong with. We, we need that. And, and the ironic thing we talked about in week one is that how, how desperately we need this community and yet how prone we are to destroying it. 
how prone we are to dividing and hurting and wounding and, and, and cutting people out and off. And, and it's, it's so much dysfunction that happens when people get together. And, and yet Jesus came along 2,000 years ago and he painted for us a picture of an alternative community, of a superior way of doing community. And that is what the church is. That's what it's supposed to be. It is supposed to be our home away from home in this world. Home being that place where you know you belong. Home being that place where, where you know you're loved, where you know you're accepted, and where you find the support and encouragement you need. So I want to say to everybody who's here today, welcome home. Welcome home. Now, last week, we talked about a very key aspect of this kind of community that's built around Christ. And that is the fact that that kind of community is a community in which people serve one another. They serve sacrificially. And that is a truly special community when you belong with people who will unselfishly, out of genuine love, serve one another. And who don't see serving each other as an imposition, but, but instead of actually to see it as an honor to get to do that for one another because we're emulating our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who, who modeled for us the, the greatest servanthood that anyone could possibly model and, by the way, was also the, the most fully alive human being that ever lived. And so if you want to be fully alive, follow in the steps of Jesus. That's, he's going to take you to that place that you want to be. So that is who we are. That is who we are as followers of Christ. That is who he wants us to be as a church. And I see that happening. I see the way that our church serves one another. I see it every day, not only on Sundays, I see it through the week in the ways that people are, are reaching out and helping one another. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We serve sacrificially. But today, I want to talk about another hallmark of this kind of Christ-centered community. And it's something that's equally important. And it's something that will also make us that city on a hill that can't be hidden that Jesus talked about. And that's when we are encouraging one another. So that's what I want to talk about today, that we are a people who should be encouraging one another. Now, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, would you please join me in Hebrews chapter 10? Because that's where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter 10. And if you read through the letter of Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote this letter, but clearly the, the Jewish Christians to whom it was addressed, they were going through some stuff. I mean, it was, it was a tough time for these new believers who had, had gone out of Judaism into Christianity, and they were finding that that didn't necessarily, you know, make things go easy for them. In, in, in fact, it had been detrimental to their place in society and even to their livelihoods in many cases. And so the writer is writing in that kind of context where being a follower of Jesus wasn't such an easy thing, much like in 2022 America, I might add. And he says this in verse 23. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Okay, so the writer says, listen, guys, we need to hold on to our faith. When we're going through stuff, when things are hard, when it's not easy to be a follower of Christ, we need to hold on. 
Hold on unswervingly, he says. You know, when, when life just kind of hits you in the face, which it has a way of doing, <laughs> man, sometimes that's all you can do, right? Is just hold on. And, and sometimes it's really hard to do that. You know, every now and then I have to admit there are times that I get demoralized. There are times that I get discouraged. And I could easily give up. How about you? And so in those times, we've got to more than ever hold on to our faith. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to hang in there when we are so beaten down and so discouraged? How are we going to keep our grip on our faith? Well, that's a good question because things don't always go so well, do they? I mean, what do you do when the prognosis doesn't look so good? What do you do when the work pressures are just bearing down on you? What do you do when it feels like your prayers are being marked return to sender? Or when life just kind of keeps throwing you one setback after another after another, and it just feels like you don't know if you can go on? Well, the writer goes on to say in the very next verse, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but what? Yeah, help me out. Encouraging one another, encouraging one another, right? And all the more, he says, as you see the day approaching. So here's what we're hearing. Encouragement is a priceless gift that you get to give to other people. It is a priceless gift that you get to give to the people around you. Encouragement. Now, it's hard to stay encouraged alone, isn't it? It's hard when you're by yourself because we get tunnel vision, don't we? And all we can see is just right what's right in front of us, which at the moment happens to be my beautiful wife, but sometimes what's right in front of us is not so good. And, and when things are going from bad to worse, then a lot of times we lose sight of anything that's good around us. We lose heart, don't we? And, and, and so within the Christian community, within the church of Jesus Christ, we have got to be about encouraging one another. See, encouragement is a priceless gift that you get to give to the people around you. In fact, they might not make it without you. Have you thought about that? They literally might not make it without your encouragement. They may lose their grip on hope. Professor of psychology, uh, Joel Wong at the University of Indiana, he defines encouragement this way. He says, it's the expression of affirmation through language or other symbolic representations to instill courage, perseverance, confidence, inspiration, hope in a person within the context of addressing a challenging situation or realizing a potential. Okay, so that's what encouragement is. And, and I think when you hear that definition, you can say, yeah, you know, we do get some of that out there in the world from time to time. There's a little bit of that, but it sure does seem like the supply of discouragement is so much greater than the supply of encouragement. Would you agree? I mean, do you find yourself 
Would you say that most of the interactions that you have out there in your workplace, when you're on the job or when you're on your school campus, the things that you're hearing, most of the communication that's coming your way from all the different sources and sides that it comes at in your life or comes from in your life, would you say that most of that communication is encouraging you to see the good, to keep doing the good, to keep believing the good that God has planned for you? Or would you say that mm, probably most of the things that people say tends towards the negative? That would you say that, hey, people are a lot better at complaining than they are at commending or complimenting? Would you say that people are a lot better at commiserating than they are at building people up? Would you say people are, are, are better at just kind of telling you how angry and outraged and upset you should be rather than how encouraged and hopeful and at peace you should be? You see, we've got to be different in the church. We got to be better than that in the church because people desperately need encouragement. And the writer of Hebrews says, within the community of Christ, again in verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards what? Love and good deeds. Okay, why does he say that? Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, haven't you noticed that when you get discouraged, what's the first thing that happens to you? You stop caring. You stop caring about what's going on with the people around you. Your capacity to love other people kind of tanks like, like the fuel level in a Dodge Ram 4x4 going uphill with a load of, truck, uh, load of rocks. I mean, you mean you are, you are, that, that gas gauge is going, whew, it is going down. And that's what happens to your love tank, your love capacity, man. It just drains out of you. And it is so hard for you to really want to do anything to help someone else. When you lose your own grip on hope, you tend to become very self-focused. And doing something good for somebody else, uh, you know, you're too busy being stuck in your own pit to even care about what's going on with them. So the Holy Spirit says, help each other fight back on that. Help each other, spur each other on, he says, to motivate each other towards love and good deeds, towards keeping that outward focus, in other words. Did you know that the shortest way out of your pit is helping up the person next to you? Did you ever think about that? But that's true. The shortest way out of your pit is helping up the person next to you. When you're showing love, to other people, when, when you're doing good for someone else, you generally are going to feel more encouraged. You're generally going to feel more hopeful because you are seeing the, the good that's coming from the things that you're doing. So encouragement requires engagement. And I want you to really let that sink into your heart today. Let it sink deep down into that place where God speaks to you, that encouragement requires engagement. In fact, he says, let's consider how we may spur one another on. In other words, we got to think about it. 
We have to actually take some time to notice the people around us and, and take time to see them and take time to figure out what's going on with them so that we can think of how to encourage someone when they're down and discouraged. It's funny, this word, spur one another on, is actually a word that means to agitate. <laughs> it means to poke or to prod. It's a word that usually was used in a negative kind of context. You know? and, and if people are good at anything, when they get in proximity with each other, it's poking and prodding each other. It's agitating each other, right? We agitate each other a lot in human community, although not in a very good way. Now, we, we agitate toward, towards, we agitate each other towards things like anger and hatred and revenge, you know. But, but God's alternative community, the church, is, is the, again, it's the antithesis of that, that we're to stir each other up, we're to agitate each other towards love and good deeds. In other words, we give each other a positive nudge. In other words, there's, there's some positive energy that flows between us when we are, when we are together and we're encouraging each other to, to do good things. Instead of being self-consumed, we are doing things that really matter and we're helping each other to, to stay in that kind of a path. You know, I, I can say that if it wasn't for being part of this church, I probably wouldn't have gotten involved in helping feed the hungry here in the Chapel Hill community. I mean, I think for me, it probably would have been a case of out of sight, out of mind. I mean, I could so easily just kind of go on my merry way, taking care of my own business, and just not think about all the people who live right here in our own community who are food insecure. And yet, it was because our church community decided, hey, we're going to do ministry out there to help people in that situation that, that I've been involved heavily in helping feed the hungry in our community. And I got to say, man, I, I'm thankful for that nudge whenever the call for volunteers for our care pantry goes out. I'm thankful for that because it motivates me. It, it urges me, it moves me to act and to do something good that I wouldn't maybe otherwise do. And I think we all need that. And if you think about it, when that's happening within the family of God, within the church, when people are motivating each other towards love and good deeds, people are much more likely to stay encouraged, right? To stay encouraged and to hold on to hope when life is getting bumpy. So think about it. Isn't that the kind of community that you want? Isn't that the kind of community you want to be a part of? Isn't that the kind of community that you need? See, I, I'm sure it is. So let's work together to build that kind of community here within our church as we depend on Jesus. Encouragement requires engagement. In fact, that's one of the reasons it's so very important for us to be together like we are this morning. You see, we can't encourage each other if we're not with each other. Make sense? Look what he goes on to say in verse 25. Not giving up what? Meeting together, right? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but what? 
encouraging, encouraging each other, right? Encouraging one another. See, when I was growing up, um, I had a drug problem. Me and my sisters, we, we, we all had a drug problem. We got drugged to church Sunday morning, <laughs> Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and every day of the week for a whole week at least two or three times a year. And, uh, you know, at the time, it was actually the best kind of drug problem a kid can have. But, uh, but at the time, I thought that the reason why that we had to be at church every single time the doors were open was that it was some kind of sin if we weren't. Or, or that, you know, that was what you did if you wanted to get to heaven. I later learned that that's not the case. But what I learned is the reason that we need to be together regularly is because I need my church family and they need me. It's pretty much that simple. We need each other. And so, you know, I can worship God all by myself. I, I, can, I can pray to God all by myself. In fact, I find it easier to pray to God when I'm by myself. I can study the Bible all by myself. I can listen to podcasts of sermons all by myself. But I can't encourage other people or be encouraged by other people all by myself. I need people to do that. And so the Holy Spirit through this writer says, don't give up meeting together. Don't do that. He says, instead, encourage each other because that's why you need to be together. You need to encourage each other. And think about this as well, my friends. Part of the encouragement that you give to other people is just by showing up. I mean, honestly, your very presence is encouraging. Did you know that? That your presence here this morning is encouraging to me? It's encouraging to the people around you? It's so good that you're here, and we're so glad that you're here. And when we don't see you for weeks on end, it's the actual opposite effect. It's discouraging. You know, if we don't see you, and we don't see you, and we don't see you, it's discouraging, and it makes us feel a sense of sadness, that we miss you, right? We, we miss you. We, we wonder how you are. We wonder how you're doing, and we miss hearing your stories and your goofy jokes and we and we miss seeing your face and your smile and we and we miss your handshakes and your hugs and we miss your friendship because you matter to us and we need you and so that's why here at our church if we're going to be an encouraging community, which is what we all want and what we all need, then we have to come together. And that's why at our church, we commit to connecting consistently. It's another one of our core values is to connect consistently, not only on Sunday mornings, but in our connect groups during the week. And again, encouragement requires what? Engagement, remember? Requ encouragement requires engagement. So to give up meeting together that he warns us about here, to give up doing that is actually to edge closer to giving up our faith. See, it's so much harder to hold on to your faith when you are isolated and alone, when you are disconnected from the family of God, especially when being a follower of Christ doesn't score you any points out there in society like it once did. 
And not only that, but we may contribute to someone else losing heart as well if we are disconnected from the body of Christ. We, you know, at the very least, we're not there to encourage them, agreed? If we're not, if we're not there, we, we can't encourage them. And, and at the worst, we may, our, our withdrawal from the community might actually discourage someone else and, and give them one more reason to give up themselves. And that's just not a place we want anyone to be, in that place where they've given up, where they've lost their faith, they've lost their hope. It's not a place any of us want to end up ourselves, I'm sure. And that's exactly where the writer goes next. Right after urging us not to give up, to hold on to the faith that we have professed, and not to give it up, and not to give up meeting together, but to encourage each other so that we don't give up. He goes on in the very next verse, verse 26, to say, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. In other words, in this context, if we abandon our faith, like if, if, we, if we lose our hope in Christ, he says, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, which would be the old covenant, died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now that is a dark passage, and that is a dark place to be when we have lost our faith, when we have lost our hope in Christ. And, you know, whether you take a Calvinistic point of view that once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation, or you take an Arminian point of view that the same free will that you use to get into a relationship with God can be used to step out of a relationship with God. Either way, we all know people who, from all appearances, had faith, walked with Christ for a season, maybe for years, maybe for decades, and somewhere along the line, lost it and walked away from Christ. Now, some of those people found their way back, thank God. But there are others who, who never find their way back, who, who for the rest of their lives have their backs turned to God. And, and we look at that and we think, how tragic that is. And a Calvinist will say, well, they must have never been genuinely saved in the first place. And an Arminian will say, well, they, their faith started good, but it, it didn't last. But either way, what we have is a person who's lost their way and has lost their hope in Christ. And without a relationship with Jesus, have no hope in him. And when you reject Jesus as the God-given sacrifice for your sins there isn't another one that you can turn to. It's not like you've got, you know, other options. 
It's not like, you know, God says, well, you can take Jesus or, you know, you can take this or you can take that or you can take that over there. Just take your pick. It's a cafeteria. Pick your own way to be saved. It's not the way it works. I know that's the way humans want it, but it's not. It's not the way God set it up. God made it very clear. I'm going to give you my very best. I'm going to do everything that you need in order to have a relationship with me. I'm going to give you my own son to die for you. But if you turn your back on him, if you reject him, if he's not what you want, if you don't want the gift he's offering you, there's not another option. Except that you are going to have to bear the punishment for your own sins. He says there is no sacrifice left. You can only try to brace yourself for the coming judgment of God. And listen, God doesn't desire for anybody to end up in that kind of situation, least of all you. He does not want you to ever lose your hope in Christ. And that's why we need each other's encouragement to hold on to our faith and our hope. And it's getting harder, not easier, to follow Jesus in this world. So what does it look like to be an encourager? Like, what, is that, what does that entail? And, and what are some ways that we can actually do this? Be encouraging to one another. I, I want to give you guys four simple ways to be an encourager. So I'll give you some really practical things that you can walk out of here and you can do. Four things that you can do to be an encourager. I hope you got a pencil or a pen and you're going to write this down on your program because there's a nice place on, on the back cover, I think it is, that you can write, write stuff down. So, number one, be committed to being together. Be committed to being together. Be the kind of person who's here more often than not. Be, be the kind of person that, that shows that you are committed to your church family. And, and understand that even that commitment alone is going to be encouraging to other people. And if people are counting on you for something, then do your dead level best to show up and to come through. So be committed to being together. Number two, tell people what you appreciate about them. Tell people what you appreciate about them. I know someone's like, this is rocket science. I understand this. But, you know, maybe we need to hear it. Tell people what you appreciate about them. Go out of your way to speak to people and to let them know that they're valued. Everybody wants to know that they're valued. Everybody wants to know that what they do matters to other people. So tell them. Or send them a text or, or, or send them an email and let them know. Or maybe write them a handwritten card. Those are super special. But what if you were to make it your objective to be everybody else's biggest fan? What would that be like? I can tell you, if you decide to be everybody else's biggest fan, one thing that's going to happen, they sure are going to appreciate you. They are, they are going to appreciate that so very much. They're going to love you for that. And I, I promise you, it will be an amazing experience for you if you decide to do that. Because can you imagine the kind of community where everybody is everybody else's biggest fan? I mean, what a special thing to, to experience, to be a part of. And, and keep in mind, a word of encouragement after a failure 
is worth more than a heap of praise after a success. People always need more encouragement after a failure than they do after a success. So number one, commit to being together. Number two, tell people what you appreciate about them. And number three, if you see someone whose commitment to to the Lord seems to be fading, reach out. Reach out to them. Don't just ignore it. Don't just kind of hope things get better for them at some point and, and maybe they'll turn around. They need you. You're part of the solution that God wants to use. Be an encourager. Okay? Ask them if they want to get together for coffee or lunch or you know whatever and just ask them what's going on and, and what they're struggling with and, and just listen. Just, you don't have to have the answers, just listen. Just be empathetic and show them that you care. Remind them that they're loved by you, by God. And tell them that you'll pray for them. Better yet, pray for them. Actually pray with them. And just minister to them right then and right there. So commit to being together. Tell people what you appreciate about them. If you see somebody's commitment fading, reach out. And number four, if someone that you have a relationship with is going down a path that you believe very firmly is going to take them nowhere good, after praying about it and sensing the leading of the Holy Spirit, out of a place of genuine love, speak truth into their lives. Now, that's several conditional factors I gave you for this one. Before you go speaking truth into somebody's heart, make sure you have a relationship with them. Make sure you've prayed about it. Make sure the Holy Spirit is guiding you as you do this. But shine your light in there. Shine your light. Be a messenger to remind them of who they are in Christ. The Holy Spirit can actually use your voice to bring about that conviction that they might need to get back on the path. So we need to be each other's allies in this spiritual struggle of life. Let me ask you guys, who are you encouraging? Who is encouraging you? Because we all need it. As you, as you look around and you're trying to think about who could use some encouragement right now? Who could use some encouragement this morning? If you're not sure, I can tell you who. Everyone, every single person needs encouragement. So you never have to wonder who needs encouragement. It's the person right next to you. It's the person you're talking to at any given time. All right, so the next step for us is very simple, and that is to decide to be an encourager. Just make up your mind. This is who I want to be. This is who God wants me to be. This is who Jesus has created me to be, is an encourager. And so I think it starts with just a decision, like a, a heartfelt commitment to the Lord. This is who you want me to be. This is who I will be. I will be an encourager. And before you leave here today, I want to just urge you to find somebody you can encourage, maybe two or three people, before you make it out the door. When you go to lunch today with whoever you have lunch with, encourage somebody that you're at lunch with today. Later, when you're at home with your family, be an encourager to your spouse, to your children, to your roommates, to your siblings, 
you know, be an encourager. You, you might have somebody that you could call later or text later or email later that you know really could use some encouragement. They're probably starving for it. So just be free with it. I can promise you one thing. If you become an encourager, you will be loved for it because there just aren't enough encouragers in this world. And if we make our church community a community of encouragement, that's like the theme, that's the predominant thing people experience when they're around us is that we are encouraging. I tell you what, it's gonna be a life-giving place to be. 